the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. It's Ed Martin. I got to tell you, I had an interesting phone call today with some folks that are doing work out in Colorado, helping uh, get good issues in people's uh, on people's radar, whether it's uh, pro-family, pro-life, uh, the, uh, the pro-America agenda. You should go over to proamericareport.com, and you'll see there a chance to sign up for my daily email. It's called What You Need to Know. You can get that there. You know, as the head of the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles across the country, I hear from folks everywhere, and I try to collate as much information as I can to get it to you on that email and on the show. So it's great to be with you. I thank you for coming in to listen. And and uh, over at ProAmericaReport.com, besides signing up for the Wink, you can also... Um, See the standalone links to so many of the great interviews that we do on this program. So uh, head over there, ProAmericaReport.com. All right. A uh, couple things before we get to what you need to know. Today's wink. I got to preview the wink for you. The Supreme Court decisions today, earlier today, they were great. And we're going to talk about both of them in a moment. Really good. Really good decisions. Seven to two decisions. The only, uh, I think the two uh, in the minority in this case were Sotomayor and Ginsburg, the very left-leaning, I guess you'd say, the others. Everybody else went there in the favor. We'll talk about it in a minute. Well, it's good. It's a good, um, it's a relief because if you care about the Supreme Court, you've been frustrated by some of the recent decisions by the so-called conservative court between Chief Justice Roberts making some uh, squirrely decisions and, and even Justice Gorsuch. But we'll get to that in a moment. I want to give you a brief update on China. You've heard me talk about China a lot. I had planned on my webinar today, earlier today. It's at uh, it's at one o'clock East Coast time. I do a one hour webinar over at uh, phyllisschlafly.com. I had planned to talk about Hong Kong and how rapidly the world is losing Hong Kong. Now, my webinar got delayed. I had to go to an important meeting that I can't tell you about yet, but I'll probably be able to tell you about in about a week. Uh, it has to do with uh, sort of policy and politics. But I'll be doing that next week on next Wednesday, a webinar. It's called The a Problem of Communist China, Our Second Cold War. And we'll be updating on, on Hong Kong. But... The news today, which I think is really good news, and it could be breaking any moment, by the way. I, I've been sort of watching to see because earlier today, may have been an interview that was late last night. I think he's traveling. But Secretary of State Pompeo, he said that I don't want to get ahead of the president, but we're looking closely at the problem of uh, TikTok. 
and whether the TikTok has uh, been violated, um, has been violating is, is inappropriate because it's Chinese controlled and dominated and they're using it for. So th- he said that when and when you when a, a, someone like Pompeo says that he doesn't want to get ahead of the president, he's usually saying there's a decision been made uh, or it's being made. And therefore, we can kind of go that direction. Good news. I mean, good news. Uh, but here's the question. Here's the funny thing. I'm not a funny thing. Here's the amazing thing. Do you know how long TikTok's been around? I don't know. Maybe it's been around for years and only now accelerated. But my goodness, it's been in about the last four months. It's accelerated in its use. And I have people over the 4th of July weekend. We had some family friends come by. I hadn't seen them in about 18 months. They were in from out of town. And the 16-year-old daughter, she said she's on TikTok all the time. And I said, when did you start? And she said, I don't know, six months ago. And she's all the time, all her friends, everybody's on there. It's amazing. And they're gathering, the Chinese government's gathering data, and they're they're not being fair. And we've been talking about the march on Hong Kong. So good for the administration to get to this point of banning TikTok. Uh, We'll see how how well uh, or quickly that happens. You know, a lot of things can sound good, and we'll see what happens when we go through. So, all right, but let's get to what you need to know today. I want to talk. This is very important. Earlier today, there were two decisions delivered by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uh, delivered two decisions, both each very important, uh, uh, very important decisions about religious liberty and uh, and our future. Now, I want to walk through them because they're really important and I want to tell you about them. But I also want to make this observation first. Uh, Many years ago, I worked uh, I worked on um, I worked on. Uh, what I call rights of conscience cases as a lawyer. You know, I'm a lawyer too. And I helped owners of pharmacies and pharmacists themselves who were being forced in Illinois by Rod Blagojevich, then the governor. They were being forced to participate in dispensing abortifacients and contraceptives. And they didn't want to do that. And they thought they had a right of conscience. So I litigated those cases and I was proud to do it. And I think we have a great tradition in this country of fighting back on conscience and we should religious liberty. But I also came to think that the, uh, that those fights were uh, really quite, um, they were really sort of felt like you were retreating. You were you were retreating to a space where you were saying, "Hey, um, we we believe in uh, our, we want our protection for our rights of conscience." We know you're stomping all over our culture, and we know it's kind of. It feels like you're sort of retreating. I'm not. I'm not describing this too well, but it feels like you're sort of putting up an argument about what you won't let the the culture and the government do to you as you're backing up instead of being proactive. And these two cases today are two more protections. It's really good. One of them is, of course, the Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. And the other one is Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey, I think. And both decisions, one, the, the Little Sisters written by Thomas and uh, the uh, Guadalupe School written by Alito. And they, they both were basically saying you have the right to your uh, conscience and it doesn't just mean freedom of worship it's not just that you go to church on sunday or to the synagogue on the sabbath and that's it no it can inform your life sufficient that you can't be the nuns the little sisters of the poor and told that under obamacare you must pay for a contraceptive mandate because you're not going to use it and you object to it on principle on your religious principle or the little sisters of the poor school. You can't your, your, your first amendment freedom of, of religion doesn't stop at the name on the door. You're allowed to say, Hey, we want our employees to have a certain set of positions. If they change those positions or if they, if they don't agree with them, we can take action to protect our, the integrity of our place. That's the tradition. 
Both of these decisions show the importance of having clear law that protects that. It gives cover to us as we the people to feel like we know we can stand up. Now, there are two problems with the current culture. One is people are not allowed to speak up and not allowed to live their life because there are intrusions of the law, that there are local or state or federal impositions of the law, things that stop them from living out their informed, you know, conscientious life. That's real. Not as common as you'd think, but it's real. But the bigger one I'd say to you, and this is what you need to know today, is there's a lot of people that there may not be a legal prohibition on you living your life but there's a cultural one it's being shoved down your throat you can't speak ill of lgbtq you can't even you cannot say what you believe about the t of lgbtq transgender for example you can't you can you cannot assert your uh, live your life and according to your conscience i'm not I'm, I'm saying this by the way i'm saying it culturally you're made to feel bad you're made to be intimidated you end up self-censoring and what you need to know today is that you have you have to uh, uh we have to be um willing to acknowledge the success in the law it's a pretty great success and then we have to be willing to uh to move ourselves out and not just worry about the law but worry about the culture and that the time for self-censorship and for the cancel culture crippling us it has to pass now i'm in a privileged position in a way i guess i mean i guess i could be canceled anytime if i say something wrong or and the free speech uh, folks come in i mean i did lose a job i did lose a job it wasn't my main job it was a side gig at cnn because i spoke the truth and they immediately let me go because the pressure from the african-american uh folks at cnn who were really racist they were racially based commentators and they complained so i guess i, I could say that actually that so that, that's real for me but in general my work is insulated so my job is to talk and lean into this problem but the question i have and what you need to know is if it's true we're getting legal protection good is it true that we're getting cultural protection is it true that we can say and be who we want to be in our culture or are we gaining legal protection but losing practical protection more and more you're seeing people say, well, I'm not going to discriminate against minorities, but I will discriminate against the majorities. Here's who we think the majority is, whites or males or whoever. This is a really challenging time. And what I think we all need to know is it's time to understand, yes, our Constitution and our law protects the freedom of our conscience. The freedom to live who we want to live, whether it's with our the little sisters of the poor, which is religious communities and religious uh, conscience around what we believe, or in the case of the little uh, the, the Guadalupe school, our schools and our our not just the church, but our schools and related services can also have that religious conviction. But that, forget what the law is for a minute, and ask yourself if we are able to assert our way of life in this culture. It's not as clear, is it? All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we got great interviews today. John Schlafly will be with us, but also our old friend, Janet Porter. She's got a book out about the heartbeat bill. We'll talk with Janet Porter, too, today. We'll talk her, with her, too, also today. Great to be with you. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is our old friend John Schlafly, and John Schlafly is, well, he's half of the dynamic duo. John and Andy Schlafly published, published the weekly column, the Schlafly Report, uh, available at townhall.com, our sister website, and also they're always archived at phyllisschlafly.com. This week's is called Anti-Trump Book Channels Farcical Faulkner. Now, uh, John, this was probably, this is probably as, in a way, it's, it's um, perfect example of the degeneration of American uh, kind of academic culture, in my opinion. This woman, Mary Trump, who is President Trump's niece, she's a PhD, I guess, in psychology, uh, and she's now written like a psychological analysis, not like, on a psychological analysis of the president. Is that walk us through who this is and what she's up to, John Schlafly? Yes, well, she has a PhD in psychology, and of course, that's First of all, um, that pretty much de- defines her right there. But apparently, uh, she's right. a clinical psychologist, and she has been estranged from the whole Trump family, really. Uh, and uh, but uh, you know, before she became a psychologist, she apparently was an English major in college, and she became obsessed with the writings of William Faulkner. Now, Faulkner was a kind of a well, uh, you know, he has a literary reputation. He was given the Nobel Prize in Literature, he the Pulitzer Prize, the Book Award, and everything else. And he's, his works are unreadable, really. And I know that my co-author, my brother Andy, is still smarting from being forced to read books by Faulkner. <laughs> and and uh, the idea that... Uh, uh, someone would be uh, so obsessed with Faulkner's fictional family that she would interpret her own family as if she's living, as if she herself is living in the fictional family that was written about in uh, several books by William Faulkner. And she's, of course, interpreting her uncle, Donald Trump, in uh, in light of the fiction written by Faulkner. And that's basically what her new book appears to be, according to advance reports. So, I mean, but naturally, the the media is going to town with it, and as if she's telling the real truth <laughs> about... Well, and, uh, but here, John, John let me ask you... Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, as a pullback and observer, I mean, there's always been tell-all tell books about everybody, right? I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the valet for, um, you know, Prince some, something or other, or Princess Diana's uh, chauffeur. It's kind of a tradition. But in this case... Is, uh, the thing that makes me kind of smile is it's almost like the perfect coming together. Yes, it's a tell-all book about someone who was in the room with her uncle quite a bit, you have to assume. But it's now like proposed as if, you know, for years they've been saying, armchair psychologist or psychiatrist saying, ooh, we haven't been able to examine Donald Trump, but we make, we make a diagnosis of this, that, or the other thing, right? Now they have a woman who's a psychologist in the family who's making the diagnosis of how neurotic she thinks he is. It, it, John, is this the bottom of the barrel at this point? I mean, we are down to the bottom of what the media is doing, or is this just sort of standard tabloid fare in your mind? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, whether it's, whether we've hit bottom, uh, Ed, is anybody's guess. There's four months to go, and I think there's more scraping <laughs> at the bottom that we can expect. 
And, uh, you know, for those those are your your senior listeners and may remember the Goldwater rule, because when Goldwater ran for president in 1964, a bunch of psychologists took out a full-page ad declaring that Goldwater was mentally unfit to be president. And they, yeah, that's right, so right. They were reprimanded by their profession and saying that was inappropriate for a psychologist to um, psychoanalyze somebody they had never even met. Now, of course, Mary right. did meet her uncle, but truthfully, Ed, she was undoubtedly more affected by her own father, that is, Donald Trump's brother. Now, right. you know, now Donald has talked about his, the sad case of his older brother, who died, uh, basically, of alcoholism in his 50s. And it was a yeah. sad story. And that was, uh, you know, Donald has said that to watching his older brother is what motivated Donald to never touch alcohol during his entire life, which is remarkable. You know, people don't talk about that. Uh, I don't know if we, when or we last had a president of the United States who was a teetotaler for his whole life as Donald Trump has been. So that's a story in itself that uh, is worthy of attention. But, of course... Mary is a liberal. She admits she voted for Hillary, and uh, um, and that that's what's motivating this, along with with the publishing industry and the media and everything else. We're talking with John Schlafly. Uh, the Schlafly Report, again, is over at townhall.com. And, uh, John, stay with stay with the media for a second. At this point, don't you know, and I maybe this is me talking about myself, and you, you're, you're less likely to agree, but all right, I'll say it that way. I think I, I meet people, and I can tell within a couple of minutes if they're a heavy watcher of CNN or Fox. <laughs> that, that that they're that they're now programmed in such a way. I'll give you my Fox example. I'm watching the Mount Rushmore speech, and across the bottom in a ticker it says Trump confronted by protesters at Mount Rushmore. Now, by chance, I tuned in an hour and a half early to that speech, and I couldn't find it, so I put it on my phone on streaming, like right side broadcasting, and they covered on a handheld device the quote unquote confrontation with protesters. It was like two dozen. I mean, I've been to protests. I've been to tea parties. It was two dozen people. It wasn't even a real protest. And yet Fox covered it like we, the viewers, should be appalled that he was confronted by protesters. My point, John, is we've got now, I don't know, two thirds of the country that are being just browbeaten into their position by the by the news media. Isn't that am I wrong about that? And what's it mean for an election? Well, our country is spinning apart, Ed, in uh, a number of different ways. It's it's alarming, really. I mean, you've cited one example, uh, but uh, you know what we've witnessed in the streets over the last couple months, uh, the 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 way the me but the way the media is is basically where we divided into two Americas now. It's not sectional as it was 150 years ago, but uh, we're we seem to be spinning apart, and it's not good because. Uh, our our founding fathers gave us uh, the office of president, which has to be filled by one person. And you right. know they considered having a committee, and they rejected that idea. And that one person has to have a majority, not just a plurality, uh, in the electoral college. And we're facing this; it's rushing right at us at breakneck speed, and. You know, we don't even know if we're going to have, be able to conduct an election because 
people we don't even know if people will be able to cast their ballots and uh, uh, it takes a lot of uh, you know it's an awful I mean we need to think seriously about what's facing us in the next couple of months and the latest yeah, thing had, you probably saw that God, the yeah. senior columnist at the New York Times has published an article in all seriousness, Tom Friedman, saying that Joe Biden should simply refuse to debate President Trump uh, unless well, he stipulates that, conditions that are ridiculous. So they're afraid well, they had to, they, putting they, Biden yeah. out for debate with Trump. And this well, and they had to start that. Yeah. They, well, they had to start down this path because Karen Tumulty of, of, of formerly of Time magazine, maybe she's now there in Washington Post. You know, she started 10 days ago with that story. I didn't see Friedman until you just said it. I pulled it up. But they had to start down that path because the only path right now to, to for the for Joe Biden, you know, to be able to succeed is to be imaginary to the voters as the media is the enemy against Trump. And so they say, oh, Trump is exhausting. Trump is antagonistic. Trump is this there's a guy in the basement over there and he's a real nice fella people say he's a nice fella because if they let him out it becomes a choice it's like dukakis in the tank or or hw bush the contrast head to head was uh was uh you know was uh, damning for for uh, dukakis uh but john does it work i mean again you've been around presidential politics closely observing for i don't know since the mid 70s does it is it going to work because of the power of the media and because of the 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 nature of our electorate right now do you think it's do you think it's uh and if it's not going to work why well um as steve bannon commented uh recently you know let's not forget that donald trump is the president of the united states he does have powers as president and he's really not using his presidential powers as much as he can and as much as he should do every day he could take action as president that will require news coverage and demand public attention. The Biden can't do that. And uh, so, as, as, as Steve Bannon said, Trump would simply act as president every day and uh, let the campaign take care of itself, and the media will have to follow what Trump does as president. That's what I'd suggest. Yeah. I don't know, John. If you got all the way this far as President Trump, as Donald Trump, every time somebody said, act differently and it'll work, maybe. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe this is when he finally should do that. But if you're him, it's like being a major league ball player. It's like being the greatest hitter ever in the history of baseball and somebody saying, you know, don't be quite so aggressive now. Now, maybe that's true, right? Maybe Ted Williams in the last three years of his, his time in the major leagues would would be less aggressive because he didn't knew he didn't have the same pop. I don't know. But it's hard to get a, a, a top a, a athlete at that level to change their approach, I think. I mean, I, and, I, and I think if he did in the wrong way, it, it might be it might you know not be effective i'm not sure well uh, that's an interesting one all right john we got to run unfortunately john schlafly half of the phyllis schlafly excuse me the schlafly report with his brother andy uh and we'll be back together we'll have him back on next week thank you john thank you ed all right we'll take another quick break and be right back it's ed martin here in the pro america report be right back 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here, the Pro-America Report. You often hear me say, if you want to be pro-America, you got to be pro-life, pro-family, uh, pro-America first. Uh, but that pro-life one is a big one. I hope uh, you all are, are, are seeing how important it is when you look at the Supreme Court decisions, you look at the future all around us. Well, one of our friends has been on the show many times, Janet Porter, who has been a, a, a real master strategist and a fighter for pro-life. She's got a new book, and the new book is called A Heartbeat Away, How the Heartbeat Bill will pierce the heart of Roe v. Wade and the shocking betrayal no one saw coming. And so for years now, for about, um, I'd say three, four years, uh, Janet has had this vision to advocate for the heartbeat bill. If there's a heartbeat detected protection, you know, there'll be, uh, if there's a heartbeat detected, the baby's protected. And then you go from there and work backwards. It's pretty intuitive, very powerful way to think of the pro-life effort. And she's had amazing success all across the country in states and others and made progress in the Congress and then things stalled, which we'll talk about. So first of all, welcome, Janet. How are you today? Thanks so much. So good to be here with you, Ed. So, so Janet is also the the, found, the founder and the president of Faith to Action, uh, her organization, which has been so great. So, Janet, first, um, give me your best rah rah. Don't get down. I mean, it feels like for pro lifers, we made a lot of progress and then stalled, and then we got the Supreme Court and then stalled, and it just it's like Lucy uh, holding the football and Charlie Brown kicking. But I know that your mo is you know you're you're one of the great captains of of the effort. So encourage us, even as it feels feels like we kicked the football or the air again. Well, uh, first let me let me uh, uh, issue a, a friendly correction on the uh, how long we've been doing this. Um, God put the idea for a heartbeat bill in my heart literally 10 years ago. And so we've oh, been, wow. uh, we've okay. been pounded against the brick wall for a decade now. Uh, but the good news is we are seeing phenomenal success. Uh, again, the bill, as you said very eloquently, it's simply if a heartbeat's detected, the baby's protected. It's now been introduced in 29 states. Uh, it passed in Arkansas, North Dakota, Iowa, Mississippi, Kentucky, Georgia, Missouri, Louisiana, Ohio, and just this last week in Tennessee. That makes 10 heartbeat laws, which really add our arrows that are being launched through the court system to deliver what I believe will be the fatal blow to the heart of Roe versus Wade and abortion on demand. So we're looking at what the pro-life movement really has been missing for 47 years, and that is a clear pathway to victory. Um, and I, I dedicated the book, interestingly, I, I dedicated the book to President Donald J. Trump. Um, he is, I believe, America's most pro-life president, but he said something in his speech as the only president to appear at the March for Life. He said, we will win because we know how to win. And what I want to communicate mm. to the president is, I, what I believe is that the heartbeat bill is the way to win. It simply says, you know, we want to protect babies until from conception. The pro-aborts, as we saw in New York and we see in the governor from Virginia and elsewhere, they want to kill them till birth. But you know what? We've got a compromise. It's a scientific solution. It gets us within inches of our goal of conception, but it recognizes what we recognize in every other human being across the country. And that is a detectable heartbeat. We're no longer going to ignore the SOS that is being sent from our, our youngest members of the human family. We're going, to, we're going to acknowledge it, and we're going to provide protection to those fellow human beings whose heartbeats can be heard. And so we believe this is going to be the wedge in the wall of Roe and bring abortion on demand crumbling to the ground. It's, it's, great, it's a great um, encouragement to know that, you know what, they, they only been passing incremental bills. Well, this is an incremental bill. But it's a great big increment. And the reason why President Trump is so important, the reason why I dedicated it to him and spoke about him in the book uh, often, 
is because we need some more justices on that Supreme Court. If we want to protect children in our lifetime and end abortion while we're alive to see it, we need to elect President Trump in in November, and we need to do everything we can to pray uh, a shield of protection around him, to pray for others uh, to come to uh, to the knowledge to know that that a vote for Trump is a pro-life vote and a vote for Biden is a vote to kill babies. That's really as plain and simple as I can make it. Live baby good, dead baby bad. Uh, Janet, we're talking with Janet Porter, and, and by the way, her book, A Heartbeat Away, it's available anywhere you, you buy books and all, but I'd say the best place to go is F2A.org, which is her website there, and there's signed copies available, and you can buy it there, F2A.org, A Heartbeat Away is the title. Janet, tell me about the book now, because the book is about the heartbeat bill and how important it is, but it's also about uh, how the fight goes, and, and tell walk us through the book and why it's important, why people will be interested in sort of understanding, as you point out, the President Trump said, we'll, we'll win because because we know how to win. Well, part of knowing how to win, and your friend and uh, mine, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to say, you know, you got to understand how politics works, not just what the truth is. So, uh, give me walk us through this book. Why it's important? Sure, it's it's a handbook on how not just to uh, to pass a heartbeat bill in your state, but it's it's how to really do what they say can't be done. This is what I discovered in this battle, Ed. It doesn't take a majority. As David Barton says, as I point out in the book, it never took a majority. The American Revolution didn't take a majority. You know, there were a fraction of of a handful of of maybe 5 to 7 percent that supported the American Revolution, actually fought in the American Revolution. But you know what we're seeing is that a a handful of people that were willing to do whatever it takes, and, and that's a chapter in the book about whatever it takes, you mean, that means we're not going to have to call out some of these guys that are Republicans in name only, the rhinos. It means we're going to have to take out ads and expose those who are blocking the bill while turning around and pretending to be pro-life. You know, we've got to do the hard thing. We ran candidates against these guys in the primaries in three election cycles. I actually ran against the president of the Ohio State Senate. Uh, we didn't win, but we cost them a lot, a lot of money. And what it ultimately came down to is that we were not going to quit until the babies were protected and the killing stopped. There's a lot more in this book. Uh, it's about taking on the, the impossible, whatever it may be. But, but for example, if we're looking in the news, as we just heard on your, uh, on your show about what's going on with Black Lives Matter, well, if people really were concerned about fighting racism, then they'd be in the pro-life battle because the real racism takes place in abortion clinics throughout this country where a black baby is three times more likely to be killed in the womb than a white baby. You know, every week more African-Americans are killed by abortion than all the people killed in the Vietnam War. I talk about that in the, in the book. I talk about a, a question. Let me, let, me, let me see if you know the answer to this one, Ed. In the book it says, yeah. guess who said this? We don't want the word to get out. That we, that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Who said that? Was it President Donald Trump? Was it Congressman Steve King, who they railroaded with a misquote? Or, or was it Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger? Any guess? I, I, th- I think I can guess this one. I think it's C, Margaret Sanger. I would have got that without that. But, you're, I, but, but, but that, that's right. But here, let me ask you, though. I want to push back, Janet. Why is it that so many Republicans run and act as pro-life and then they just don't get it done? Trump has lived up to his pledge to be pro-life. But, you know, he's almost singular. You can name a couple of other members that are fearless about it. But most get caught up in the in the lemming effect. And they're in the lemming and they're just and, and we don't get it done. I mean, you, it, it even me and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty optimistic generally. I, I just get sick of it that they they don't actually deliver. Well, I'll tell you what it's been, is we've been letting these guys get away with murder for decades, literally. They run as pro-lifers, 
and we, we, mill, we, we, we regulate around the edges of abortion. We move the line down a millimeter down the field. And we all wonder why, you know, we're still killing a million children legally every year in this country. And, and, and it's the establishment. And that's one of the things that, that our mutual friend, the late Phyllis Schlafly, saw. She saw that President Trump was an anti-establishment guy. That there's a lot of phonies who say, oh, look how pro-life I am. And all I'm willing to do is regulate around the edges of abortion. Now, what We want someone that's going to end abortion. And that's the kind of guy Trump is. That's the kind of guy that we uh, we need uh, to see representing us, whether it's female or male, it's it representing us at the state house, at the congressional level, and at the uh, at the presidential level. Because here's here's the enablers to the establishment. You want to know uh, the, the the subtitle of my book? It says a heartbeat away, but the subtitle is how the heartbeat bill will pierce the heart of Roe v. Wade and the shocking betrayal no one saw coming. The shocking betrayal. I'll give you a little hint about what that was. It was the establishment group called, brace yourself, Right to Life. National Right to Life and several of its affiliates have actually enabled the pro-abortion movement, and they fought harder than anyone against the most protected pro-life bill to ever pass in these states, beginning with Ohio. Interestingly, I was the legislative director of Ohio Right to Life. I was part of the establishment. I did the incremental bills, the parental consent and the right to know, even lobbied to pass the nation's first ban on partial birth abortion. But what Dr. Wilkie, the founder of Right to Life, said, he says that approach, that incremental approach, did not get us far enough, fast enough. And so when you're trying something different, if you want different results, you got to try a different approach. And that's what we did. And uh, there were a lot of people who saw it as a turf war that said this is, uh, this is uh, encroaching on our territory. And they fought us harder than Planned Parenthood. In fact, Ohio Right to Life uh, not only testified against the protective heartbeat bill that would save almost every child facing abortion, that when we passed it, not once but twice, they called for a veto of the most protective pro-life bill, and they celebrated alongside the abortionists when it came. We saw it uh, in, in, uh, in so many states, in South Carolina and Tennessee and Indiana and all over the place. But let me tell you one thing. If you didn't believe what I'm saying, if you don't believe what I document in the book, A Heartbeat Away, then, then believe this. National Right to Life turned their back on the champion in Congress, Congressman Steve King. They endorsed his opponent and cost him his race. This is a guy with a 100% voting record who's the champion of the pro-life heartbeat bill and the bill of protection from conception. And we did, they did that in Ohio. They did it in, in uh, Tennessee as well. This is the kind of thing we're up against. We, we found the enemy, and it is us. What we need to do is expose <sighs> uh, those who are obstructing the, uh, the cause of protecting children, and that's what this book does. There's going to be a lot of people shocked and surprised and some who I believe are going to be demanding their money back from the donations they made to what they thought was a pro-life organization of National Right to Life and, uh, and, and realize National Right to Life, even at the federal level, has impeded and blocked the effort to protect more children than all the bills we've ever passed in the last 47 years Ed, combined. That's what this bill would do. Yeah. Protect Dr. Wilkins, well, 95, it, 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 98% of them. Yeah, it is. Uh, at this time is so interesting in a way for many of us. And, and if, you know, Trump's done it too, that exposing the sort of, uh, true motives of a lot of folks, whether it's the fake news, some of the, the neocons in the, in the, in the international affairs, and then these conservatives, the so-called social conservatives on the issue or the pro-lifers where you say, yeah, it doesn't look like you really want to make progress. It looks like you are part of the problem. Well, listen, the book is again, go to f2a.org. The book is a heartbeat away. I think it's really important that you did this, Janet. I know it's how hard it is to write a book, but uh, this is going to be important as a marker as we go forward. And, uh, and uh, again, such an important time. So 
So thank you, Janet Porter. F2A.org. We'll put it up on social media also. And we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. The United Nations claims to be in the business of world peace, but sometimes it seems like they're only in the business of justifying their own existence and the billions of dollars they soak up every single year. The official UN Twitter account recently contributed to world peace, I suppose, by chastising men and women who use so-called gendered words, words like mankind, manpower, and firemen. Instead of using those words, we're supposed to use gender-neutral words like humankind, workforce, and firefighter. If that isn't obnoxious enough, the caption bearing the hashtag generation equality instructs us to help create a more equal world by using gender-neutral language if you're unsure of someone's gender. If the UN thinks calling someone a representative rather than a businessman is the best way to make the world more equal, they aren't exactly shooting for the stars, are they? The absurdity of this whole situation would be funny if it weren't so sad. The UN tells us to use the word spouse instead of husband or wife. But can anyone really imagine a future where the minister says, I now pronounce you spouse and spouse? That's the United Nations idea of equality at its finest. Interestingly, they say not to call someone a congressman. The most obvious synonym for congressman is representative. But don't forget that representative is the politically correct alternative to businessman. Left with no other option, the U.N. tells us to start calling your congressman a legislator. Of course, then you can't talk about your congressman and your senator in the same sentence without sounding redundant. If this is what it takes to not be sexist, the English language is in serious trouble. I don't want to make it seem like there's no real sexism for the United Nations to fight. I'd be totally on board if the U.N. decided to campaign against the scourge of human trafficking, the blight of pornography, or the oppression of women in Islam. These are all very real threats to the well-being of women around the world. However, the United Nations would rather spend our valuable resources fighting over the right or wrong words instead of fighting over what's right or wrong. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. You've seen the desperation of women's marches, the disgrace of Planned Parenthood, the rise of savvy young conservative women. Radical feminism is heading down a dead-end road. Voice your opinion on what's really important to women at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com. You can get Ed Martin's Daily Wink, what you need to know in the morning. By the way, <laughs> there are a number of things I do that I tell people about. You'll notice, and I don't brag about it all the time, but just watch now. What you need to know, it's not like it's the most original phrase, but what you need to know is a phrase I started using about two and a half years ago, and I, I condensed it recently, the last six months, into the Daily Wink. Suddenly, you see what you need to know being used. The Trump campaign sends out a what you need to know every day on uh, on the Smile Ad. So anyway, that's another second Cold War. It's being used regularly. I started using that a few months ago. So, all right. Now, um, we got to finish up. I just got a few minutes. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. Two things going there. Sign up for the Daily Wink. 
You're going to want that in your email box. 5 a.m. Pacific time, 8 a.m. East Coast time goes right in. Bam. Second thing, though, when you go there, standalone interviews, links to things like Janet Porter's interview about her new book and all those kinds of things. And uh, John Schlafly's uh, interview earlier. So do both of those things. But let me get quickly to this. I can't believe it. it's so funny. I told you about a mo- uh, about three weeks ago, Karen Tumulty, who used to wrote, write for Time magazine. I think she writes for The Washington Post now. She wrote a piece saying Biden shouldn't debate. He shouldn't demean himself by debating or something like that. Well, now the, the battle's been joined. Biden can't debate Trump because he thinks he's winning and he's hiding in his, in his basement. So now there's a column in The New York Times... Thomas Friedman, one of the leading, you know, he's a best-selling author and blah, blah, blah. He's one of these. He actually has a, a, um, a, a lengthy column that says Biden should not debate Trump unless. And then he has conditions, conditions that he knows won't be met. So he's basically setting up, trying to set the table to say, hey, 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 what we're doing is we're, we're, he shouldn't debate. He should have these things because they can't have him debate. Uh, the, they just can't have him to, uh, you know, they can't have Joe Biden on a stage and have to be nimble and have to be normal and have to be serious. So they're not going to allow it. So they're starting a drumbeat. Remember, it's 17 weeks from yesterday till the, till the election. So two, three weeks ago, Karen Tumblety starts a drumbeat. Now Thomas Friedman says the next one. Now you're going to have two things. You're going to have two contrasting arguments. One is you're going to have Biden start saying it's already happened. One of the presidential debates was moved from Michigan to Florida because they don't want to know Michigan didn't want to host it on their campus. I think it was University of Michigan. So they're going to start saying, oh, it's too impractical. It's too hard to do. We're not going to have a debate the same way. And the second one is you're going to start this drumbeat that, um, you know, uh, you shouldn't do it with Trump because he doesn't tell the truth. That's what Thomas Friedman says. He says he doesn't tell the truth. So you can't have a debate with somebody who doesn't tell the truth. Give me a break. You know, give me a break. Oh, by the way, he does. Tom uh, Friedman does say this, that uh, Biden earned 15 million dollars in two years for speaking engagements. He and his wife, 15 million. Does that sound normal to you? So he's talking about that's his way to do foreign policy. But the simple fact is this. The Democrats are desperately going to try to make sure that he doesn't debate. So watch for it developing the drumbeat over these weeks of reasons why you shouldn't debate, shouldn't debate. It's incredible to watch. And the only thing the question is um, whether he gets away with it. Is there a way that Biden can hide sufficient that he doesn't have to debate? I guess we're going to find out. I guess we're going to find out. It's um, it's uh, crazy to me. to uh, realize uh, that this is where we are, but we'll see. All right, we got to run, though. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. Also, TheAnswerSanDiego.com. Go there. And thank you to Randy for filling in for Noah, our great technical director, and Joanna for helping book. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow.